Good morning, good, good morning, sisters and brothers. We're going to start jumping into the Word today. My name's Charlie. If I haven't met you yet, it's good to see you today. Keep uh, Keith and Jamie in your prayers. They're helping some family out today, so just uh, remember them, and they'll be back next week. So if you liked the chicken and rice today, say amen. Amen. Wasn't that good? It's a blessing. We're going to be handing out some supplies after our uh, service here today, but uh, so glad that you're here. It's a beautiful day. If you want to thank God for today, the good weather, say amen. Amen. It's nice weather today, so we got full stomachs and beautiful weather, so even more good to come with some good news from the Bible, so let's uh, jump into that right away. Do you ever struggle to come up with the words to pray? Do you ever wonder, like, Am I praying the right way or am I saying the right things? Well, um, I, I do. Sometimes you just don't. It's hard to put words into what you want to talk with God about. If you ever struggle with wondering, like, what do I say to God? How do I express my heart to God? Uh, I think one thing that helps is just to be honest. Say what's on your heart. I don't know about you, but there have been times where when I've gone to church, you know, people will lead in prayer and they'll uh, say, you know, words like thee and thou. And, and I know they're doing that to show respect, but I think God wants you to just say what's on your heart. Say how you feel. Say what's on your mind. How, you know, if you're frustrated, not hiding it. I mean, he knows it already. Saying what is on your heart. I think that's what he wants. He wants the true you, the, the whole heart that you have, the way that you feel. The Old Testament book of Psalms, a lot of those chapters, there's, over a, there's 150 chapters in the book of Psalms in the Old Testament, a lot of those are prayers. And so sometimes it may be just a healthy exercise to find some of those uh, in the Bible and, and just read them. And a lot of those are expressions of David and other people who were inspired by God to just say what was on their heart. And if you read the Psalms, you'll see a lot of times they didn't mince words. They said, God, I am hurting. God, I am struggling. God, I don't understand. I don't see you. I don't understand what's going on in my life. I am struggling to figure out what to do. And that's what God wants. He wants us to express and say the truth about what is going on in our lives. So the Psalms is a good place to go. And then there's some great prayers in the New Testament as well. And I want to read one to you that's found in the book of Ephesians. And I want to read this prayer, and then I want us to um, kind of make it personal. So uh, this is a prayer that is written down by Paul, who visited a lot of different churches. And remember when we say churches, we mean the people of those churches. This is not about a building. So this, is, this was a prayer that Paul would pray about the people in Ephesus. It's in Ephesians 3.14. He says, for this reason, and he's talked about the glory of God and many things in the previous chapters, but he says, for this reason, I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, that he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being." So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you being rooted and established in love 
may have power together with all of the Lord's people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all of the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all that we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Sisters and brothers, this is the word of God, the prayer of God for the people of God. May all of God's people say amen. Let's pray together. Father, I ask that you help us to dive into the truth of who you are. I pray that love will be the foundation of our faith and that you'll help us to approach you with honesty and with boldness, knowing that we are your children. Thank you for every heart that is here today, and I pray that you bless us as we talk about your word. It's in Jesus we pray. May all of God's people say together, Amen. So this prayer is so beautiful. Think of Paul who uh, in, in several of the letters that he wrote to churches was writing from a jail cell, was writing from prison. And he says, I'm kneeling down to the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. And I want to read this prayer and make it a little more personal instead of you thinking that Paul is praying this to other people that He's praying this about you. So I'm going to read it in that way. So Paul is saying, I pray that you can experience the glorious riches of God and that he may strengthen you with the power through God's spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your heart through faith. And I pray that you will be rooted and established in love And that you would have power together with all of the Lord's people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ for you. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all of the fullness of God. What a beautiful prayer. And one sentence I want to point out to you is that we've been talking about faith, about the faith of people In Hebrews chapter 11, what's up, Kellen? All of the people that trusted in God, no matter what their circumstances were. That's what we've been looking at for the past several months. Heroes of God who are mentioned in Hebrews chapter 11 who had a lot of faith. And so in this prayer, Paul is asking that Christ would dwell in our hearts through that faith. Through that belief that Jesus is and that he has done what he said he would do that we would believe that. So faith is foundational, but look at this other thing that's foundational to our faith. Paul says, I pray that you would be rooted and established in love. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge. So love is foundational to our faith and understanding of love. Now when we say the word love these days, it can be used in many different contexts. Some of you may have said I love that chicken and rice today. And that's probably different than the love that you would say, I love my wife or I love my child. There's different, you know, we we use the word love and there's different expressions of that. 
But Paul wants us, wants you and I, to be rooted and established in love. That, 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 is, that is the foundation of our faith, love. Not only the love that God has for us, which is part of that, so we've got, that's got to be foundational to who we are. We've got to believe that that love is for us. Be rooted and established in that love for us. And then we become so full of that love. We receive the love of God, the truth about God, His love for us, and that fills us up so full that that allows that love to overflow to others. That's what it means to be rooted and established in love. That's one of the things that it means, is to be, to be filled with the love of God and be so full of it that it overflows to the world. That, that, that's what it means to be a Christian. That's what it means to walk in the light of Christ and in, in the love of Christ. So we've got to be established in that. And then this next sentence, to, to know what that love is, but then he says, to know that love that surpasses knowledge. So doesn't that sound maybe a little bit confusing? <laughs> How am I supposed to know something that surpasses my ability to know it? <laughs> I'm not a smart man. I have a Kentucky education, but that's a little confusing. How, how, do, I, how do I walk in that? How do, I, how do I live that? Well, for me, a lot of times it helps to have a story, to have, you know, some type of, of story to help me understand what that might look like. What does it look like for God to love me so much that it, it surpasses my ability to understand it or to know it? What does that look like? And the good news is when Jesus came to earth, a lot of times he told us stories, didn't he? You know, anytime we try to think about God, Whatever we can come up with in our own minds, as helpful as that is, the truth of the divinity, the divine nature of God is probably beyond what we can come up with in our minds, right? He's divine. He's God. He was and is and is to come. He is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. So any attempt that we have to understand God is probably not going to necessarily be the fullness of who He is, but... We need help, don't we? We need maybe a picture or a symbol or something that can help us know something that surpasses our ability to know it. So I'm, I don't know about you, but I like a good story. I like to watch movies that tell a good story. I like you know TV shows that sometimes tell a good story. So we're going to look at a story of Jesus today that helps us in this foundation of love that God has called us to that finds its expression in faith this foundational love, what it looks like. And it's a story of Jesus found in the New Testament in Luke chapter 15. My guess is you've probably heard this story before, and it's one part of three different stories that Jesus tells us about the love of God for us. So Luke 15 verse 1 says that tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. Now isn't that interesting? Jesus was, when he lived on the earth, the kind of person that attracted tax collectors and sinners. Anybody, work, you know, I'm working on my taxes right now, and bless all the people that work in that field. My dad works uh, part-time for, uh, for H&R Block, and uh, that is not fun, right? It's not fun to do, to do your taxes. Well, think about back then in the uh, days of Jesus, you know, the Roman citizens would hire local people to take taxes from 
the Jewish people of that day. Imagine how much they were hated. But tax collectors, people that were the lowest of the low in the time of Jesus, would sit and talk with Jesus, would sit and be around, around Him. Not just that, but sinners. And then verse 2 says that the Pharisees and the teachers of the law were upset, and they said, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. So these stories are told in response to Jesus trying to help us understand and see how God feels about sinners. And all of us today can raise our hands and say, we're sinners. Anybody here a sinner? I'm a sinner. You know, so this is a story of what God feels, his heart for sinners. His, and I would even say this, his love for those who mess up. His love for those who struggle with sin. So if you struggle with sin, listen up. There's three different stories, and I'm going to read the last one. You probably know it as the parable of the prodigal son. It starts in verse 11. It says, there was a man who had two sons. I love that this is called the parable of the prodigal son, but it tells us so much more. It tells us about the father, this man who had not just one son, but two sons. And listen to what the love of God looks like. The younger one comes to his father, and he says, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them, between the two boys. Verse 13, not long after that, the younger son got together all he had and set off for a distant country, and there he squandered his wealth and wild living. After he'd spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his field to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare, and here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and he went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him, and he ran to his son and threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate, for this son of mine was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Sisters and brothers, this is the love of God for the sinners of God. May all of God's sinners say amen. It's just a few sentences, but I want to jump in because there is so much that Jesus tells us about the heart of the Father. First of all, this story is not just about the boys. It's about the father. It begins, there was a man who had two sons. So the younger one comes to the father, and you probably know and have heard people talk about what this story means, where he says, Father, give me my share of the estate. So back then in that time, the share of the estate would not go to both of the sons until the father was dead. So in essence, what is this son saying? Dad, I wish you were dead. All I want is just your stuff. 
Now, can you imagine if you have children, your son or daughter coming to you saying, Mom, Dad, I wish you were dead. I just want your stuff. I just want your money. How would that make you feel? What would you do? If it were me, I would say, son, go jump in a lake <laughs> or something maybe stronger. Um, but, but listen to what happens here, okay? Listen to what happens. He divides his property. with He, he does what the son asks. Even before this father is dead, he gives this son who has just insulted him his share of the inheritance before he's dead. What kind of father does that? And not just to the younger son who asked for it. Did you hear what the story says? He divided his property between them. Not only did he give it to the younger son, but he gave it to the other son too. So he was not just generous with the younger son who had just insulted him to his face. He was so generous that he gave it to the other son as well. What kind of father would do that? Not only did the younger son insult his father, say, Dad, I wish you were dead, just give me my stuff. He takes that stuff and does what all of us who have sinned can relate to. He gets together all he has and he leaves. He sets off for his dis- a distant country and he squanders his wealth. And I like what the, new, uh, what the old King James Version says. He squandered his wealth in riotous living. Now, I don't think I have to describe what that means. My guess is, and I imagine, taking off, I am free. I'm no longer under my dad's authority. I got all the money in the world. I can party. I can do what I want. I got dollar dollar bills I can pass out to everybody. Riotous living. You can imagine the parties, the wildness, the craziness. He had a lot of friends probably because he's got a lot of money and just, you know, spending it. Hey, drinks are on me. Time to party. He wastes his wealth in riotous living. The money runs out like it always does. Whenever we pursue a path of sin, it's only temporary, isn't it? It's only temporary. So after he'd spent everything, there's a severe famine in the whole country and he began to be in need. Can you imagine going from the highest of the high to the lowest of the low? It gets so bad that he does what no respectable Jewish person would do. He signs up to feed somebody's pigs who in that culture would have been considered unclean. And if it got, it got so bad and he was so hungry that not only did he help feed the pigs, he ate what the pigs were eating. So imagine that. And maybe you've lived this out. Where things are good, you've got all the money in the world, you've got all the friends, you're partying, and then the crash comes. Some people call it hitting rock bottom. The money runs out. There's nothing left. And you don't know what to do. And you try to do what you can to get by, and you have to do the lowest of the low. But such a beautiful part of this story is the son doesn't stay in that state. I love how Jesus says he comes to his senses. And may God help all of us, all of us sinners, when we are pursuing a path of sin, when we are pursuing a path that leads to our death, come to our senses. Come to our senses. And sometimes it takes hitting rock bottom to do that. And I think it's helpful to 
look at this son in, in the right way. At least he did that. He, he came to his senses and he's like, e- even the guys that are servants of my father are better off than what I am now. And so can you imagine his pride destroyed after he'd insulted his father to the face, after he never had planned to come home probably ever again, thinking, I'm going to have to come home. I, 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 can't, I can't make it anymore. And so I know that when I get back home, dad's going to be upset. He will remember me insulting him. He's going to be mad that I've spent all of his money. So I know that when I go back to dad, I'm not even thinking I'm going to be a son. I'll at least be a servant and I'll at least just ask to be a servant. And maybe just perhaps out of the goodness of his heart, he'll let me do that and I'll just, I'll just live as a servant. So to his credit, he gets up and goes to his father. Now, let's just pause here and think, if it were you, if it were me as a father, and I, I try to be a good father, but sometimes my boys, I have two boys, do, do things that upset me. And I promise you, it, it, is, it, is, it is so difficult as a dad to, you do love them, but, but to love them when, when they make mistakes. And I struggle sometimes to just get through that. And I'm sure if you're a father, you do the same thing. And if you're a mother, you do the same thing. So could it be that God is such an amazing father that when we're at the lowest of our low, he acts like this? While he was still a long way off, his father saw him. So you've probably heard good preachers talk about what that means. If you're able to see a son that's coming home from a long way off, what does that mean? You're looking for him. That you've been walking out every day perhaps, dreaming, thinking, maybe my son will come home today. Is it possible that our Heavenly Father does that even when we're in the midst of our sin, even when we're in the middle of our sin, and even when we're at rock bottom? Could it be that He loves us so much that every day He's like, I hope the day, today is the day that he comes to himself and he comes to his senses and he comes home. Could it be that the father's love is that beautiful? While he was still a long way off, his father saw him. Now, it would be nice to stop the story right there and think, okay, the father sees him. He's glad that his son's home, but look at the response. He's filled with compassion for him. He's filled for compassion with the son who is covered with pig poop and coming home. How is that even possible? He's filled with compassion for him, and he doesn't just have the compassion. He expresses it. He runs to his son, which no respectable Jewish father would do. Running in that culture was not something that the head of a household would do, but he runs to his son Threw his arms around him in the middle of his mess, he gives him a kiss. Imagine yourself as that son. Imagine yourself seeing your dad, who you taken all of his, you know, all the money that was due to you, running towards you, and you might think, okay, he's running towards me and he's got a plan. But in the middle of your stench and filth, because it's a famine, there's no way he could have taken a shower, he hugs him and starts kissing the face that's covered with stuff that we probably don't even want to talk about. 
Imagine that. He's filled with compassion for him, runs to his son, throws his arms around and kissed him. So I'm sure it's surprising this son. So he's like, okay, I've got this speech rehearsed, right? Like, okay, I'm going to say what I've been practicing probably on my way home to say, look, and, and he starts it. Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you, no longer worthy to be called your son. It doesn't even sound like the father once cares or is listening to this repentance speech, it seems like, because he says to his servants, Bring the best robe, not just the robe for somebody special, but the best one. Put the robe on him because no son of mine is going to be in the state that he's in like this. And put a ring on his finger, which is a symbol that you are now part of the family. The ring on his finger, the family ring and sandals on his feet. Bring the fatted calf and kill it and let's celebrate for this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is now found. And they began to celebrate. What amazing love. Sisters and brothers, this is what the love of the Father looks like. This is what the love of the Father is for me and for you in our mess. Sisters and brothers, we must be rooted and grounded in this love of God for us. It is beyond even better than this. As beautiful as this is, and as beautiful as a story as this is, divine love is even more beautiful than that. Divine love is even better than that. So I'll close with this. My prayer for you today is that you know that the Father from whom all of heaven and earth derives its name loves you so much that in the middle of your mess, He is looking in that far and distant country where you are coming from and longing for you to come home. What coming home looks like is coming to your senses, understanding, look, this is no way to live. The path of sin will ultimately lead to death. So with God's help and strength, God, I'm sorry for that, and I want to truly live to walk in the goodness of what God calls me to, to walk in that love and to be filled with it. So may you be filled to the measure of all of the fullness of God so that that love may overflow and not just be something that you experience every day as even as beautiful as that is, but you are so full of the love of God that that love and that love alone empowers you to love every other person that God loves just like what we described. That is not only the love of God for you, but for every single person of His creation. And trust me, every single person of his creation sins and messes up and makes mistakes, but that is the truth of the love of God. Do you believe it today? If you believe it, say amen. Do you receive it today? If you receive it, say amen. Let's pray, sisters and brothers. God, your love is amazing. It is beyond what we can ask or imagine. And so today, I pray that we would be filled to the fullness of this love and that we would know it, not just know it intellectually, but experience it. I experience the love of Jesus in this parking lot when I see kindness, when I see sisters and brothers gathered together, when I see a place 
where it doesn't matter where you've been or what you've been into, that you have a seat at the table. God, that is love from you, and it's love that we can't produce on our own. It takes your power, your spirit, and your amazing grace. So we need that, God. I pray that today, in the middle of our circumstance, and I know we've got sisters and brothers here that are in difficult, challenging circumstances, things that are going on that we can't even begin to imagine. I pray that today that you would, in a beautiful and unique way, show us the love that you have for us. And I pray that we would know it, that we would experience it, that we would experience a father like you running to us, hugging us, having compassion for us, kissing us, putting on the best, and partying and celebrating. God, we know that that is your heart when we turn to you, when we seek you. And I pray that we'll do that with all of our heart. In whatever circumstance or situation we find ourselves in, God, we need you and we seek you. Meet us where we are so that we can experience that love. And God, I pray that starting right now that you would fill us just like we filled our stomachs with this chicken and rice. God, fill us so full of this love because we need it to love in a dark and dreary and challenging world. We need your love to be able to love like we should to your creation and to your people. That's what we want to be. We realize it will take you to do that work in us. So do it today, God. If someone today here has never really sought you or come to you with their full heart, I pray that the love that you have would draw them to you, and I pray that they would be in relationship with you. God, one of the most beautiful things that we do here in the summertime is is baptize people where the old man of sin goes away and the new man comes up. And I know that that is possible for every person that's here today. So as we leave this parking lot, as we take provision from you, fill us with your love, fill us with your joy and help us. And we ask all of this in Jesus' name. May all of God's people say together, amen.